0: trusted Christ and uh, that's the most important decision you ever make. and let's be sharing that good news with others as well. Grab your Bibles if you would, please tonight. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your church for the week and uh, we are, are praying, uh, you, you know what? I, I'm going to share I wouldn't normally do this, but um, I'm going to share a specific prayer request with you. And uh, in, J- in June, uh, I'll be having surgery. It's a hernia repair surgery, all right, that I've needed for a couple years and starting to cause me problems and when I breathe and sing. And so as you can imagine, that's a little bit troubling, right? Uh, it's the same surgery my wife just went through and she's doing fine. A uh, little uncomfortable still, but she's doing fine. Um, uh, when she goes and has surgery, I can still do meetings. But when I go and have some kind of surgery or procedure, it's not like she can go on the road and preach. So the month of June has been blocked out because hernia is not, it's not like life-threatening, but it's really painful recovery. And uh, we've seen that. So we won't have any meetings at all in June. So we are praying that the Lord would provide in some way, and would you pray with us? Uh, we're, we're, I'm, I'm I'm confident the Lord's going to do something special, uh, but uh, we we've had to clear our calendar for June, and I'm also really not looking forward to it. Uh, but uh, that's beside the point. They'll do a good job. I'm going to the same. A surgeon that did my wife's and uh, they're they're gonna take good care of me down there in Pensacola but uh, that's just on my heart as uh, we look towards that and then when July hits I, we're back full time doing stuff and I'm helping out at uh, teen camp and all kinds of different things so uh, appreciate that that's just on my heart and mind uh, let's go to 1st uh, Timothy I'm sorry 2nd Timothy 2nd thi- Timothy chapter number 4 I want to preach to you a message tonight entitled this, Facebook Theology. (laughs) Facebook Theology. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, beginning in verse number 1. Of course, this is, we're coming to the end of the last words of Paul, aren't we? This is the last epistle that he wrote. Uh, He is ready to give his life for his Lord, and he's leaving these words behind for Timothy, his son in the faith. I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at His appearing. By the way, and His kingdom. You've got two stages of the Lord's return. I'm not preaching about the rapture tonight, but that's a good point there. Number two, or verse number two, preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Look at this. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And by the way, the construction of that sentence is that the, the, it's not that the teachers have itching ears. It's that the people who are heaping to themselves have the itching ears. Okay, and they, verse four, shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Dear Lord, I pray you help us tonight and this last night. Thank you so much for these dear people here at Marlbrook Baptist. I pray your richest blessings upon them, Lord. Uh, the devil doesn't like this church. The devil wants to snuff out their light for you. And so, Lord, I pray a hedge of protection around this place, Lord, that we'd be able to see you do mighty works through, uh, not because of who how great we are, but of how great you are. Lord, that you do mighty works through these folks here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I want to focus there in verse number three. The time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We're going to go a little bit different order tonight than what I've been doing. And we're going to look at this verse and kind of pick it apart a little bit here. And understand it and then in the second half of the message we're gonna do some straight-up pure application all right so let's look at the passage here that idea of enduring sound doctrine that word endure literally means to hold oneself up against what do I mean by that well I remember back in the day when I used to play basketball and yes I used to play sports. I didn't get all my extra insulation until we hit the road in evangelism revival. Uh, I actually played sports. I ran track. I played basketball. I wasn't particularly great at basketball. I wasn't horrible either. Uh, I was this tall in sixth grade. So I thought I was going to end up being a tall guy because, I mean, you know, a five-foot five foot eight-ish in sixth grade, I thought, hey, this will be good. So I learned to play on the junior high team in seventh grade. I played, um, uh, played like a power forward at the time, right? Because I was I was wide, right? I wasn't big like like I am now, but still wide. Well, then in eighth grade, I, I hadn't grown any. So then I became a small forward. Ninth grade, I ended up playing kind of that the shooting guard position. And then by the time I was still the same height, by the time I was a senior in high school, that uh, I was just kind of playing outside, and what do you do with a shooting guard that's not very accurate, right, so uh, I ended up playing a lot of defense, you know, that was my specialty, and you know, I actually enjoyed it, I enjoyed getting, I'm not going to try to do it too much, because again, I need hernia surgery, so, uh, but uh, I enjoyed getting way down, and waiting for that guy to come uh, across, and trying to swat that ball, and I, I enjoyed that. And, you know, uh, I actually was pretty decent at track. In fact, I set a junior high record for the 100-meter dash, believe it or not. It's probably been broken now. But I remember those days well. And you know what? One of my favorite yet least favorite exercises that we had to do was the wall sit. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. What is that? Well, I don't really have something I can demonstrate on it. This won't really work because it's not flat. But you would back yourself up against the wall, and you basically make a right angle with your knees and hold yourself up against that wall like the wall was going to cave in. And the coach would start, you know, blow the whistle, and you just stay there, and then your thighs would be burned right and you're building that strength and and i'm sure it's been said by a lot of people but you know pain is just weakness leaving the body you know and ah, you just you'd feel that burn and, and that would help you get down to play defense you know that's the idea of the word endure it's to hold yourself up against do you realize learning sound doctrine is hard work that's why a lot of people don't do it That's why a lot of people, as we'll see in a moment, would rather read a Facebook post that has a little kitty on it with a little bit of verses on there rather than actually learn sound doctrine because it gets tiring. Your legs start burning. Man, I've memorized a lot of scripture. Man, I've been learning all this stuff. I'm just tired. That is what Paul said was going to happen. People were going to get tired of holding on to sound doctrine. And boy, do we see that today. People would rather read the latest book that comes out rather than get back in the Word of God. Listen, friends, if we want to stand in a difficult time, we've got to be be teaching ourselves and training ourselves and disciplining ourselves to say, you know what, it might be hard, it might be difficult, but it's going to make me stronger. Time will come when they don't want to endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall heap to themselves teachers See, th- this idea is to stockpile teachers that will tell you what you want to hear anyway. Sometimes we call those yes men. How many of you know what yes men are? Say yes. Yes, yeah, there you go. <laughs> yes men are, are people, it could be yes women too, but you know, it's people that you surround yourself with that, you know, for whatever reason, they never want to contradict you. So they're always just going to go along with whatever you want to say. Uh, sometimes we see this happen with, uh, with a, someone who has some sort of celebrity status and the people that uh, surround them, they surround themselves with are dependent on their riches and so they never want to contradict the person for fear that they'll lose out on those riches. That's why Proverbs says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. What is that, wounds of a friend? Well, that's when you're wounded by a friend who's telling you the truth. But that's not what he's saying here. He's saying what people are going to do is they're going to find the podcasts and the YouTube channels, you know, and the Instagram and and whatever sources they can. They're going to heap to themselves teachers that are going to tell them what they want to hear anyway. Some people call it preaching to the choir. (laughs) And the idea of itching ears, have you ever wondered about that? What is that? What are you talking about? Well, it's it's a figure of speech. It's a compulsion, like getting an itch you have to scratch. Like if I said, maybe, are you sure your nose isn't itching right now? I'm just watching now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a couple of you already did it. In, in the next, for the next 90 seconds or so, you're going to start getting a compulsion. Or what if I start doing this? <sighs> yeah, some of you are going to, you're not going to be able to help it. And you know what? I won't take it personally because I just did it to you, all right? Okay, it's that type of thing. It's kind of this compulsion that I've just—I've got to scratch my nose. I've got to itch my ear. That's what he's talking about. People today have a compulsion that they've got to watch the latest Doctor Phil. They've got to tune into shows like The View and The Talk and all this kind of nonsense in order to get their uh, daily pablum. Of truth for them, it becomes a compulsion. But then look at the next verse, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. The word behind the word fables there is the word mythos. Now I, I I'm not a Greek scholar. Okay, I trust my Bible study tools. But I love this word, fables, because I mean, it comes from the word myth. Well, what is, what, what, what's he talking about? Myths, okay. I don't want to offend, any, <coughs> offend anyone with this, okay? So, you know, please understand where I'm coming from. If you want to disagree, I'm totally fine with that. I'm not offended. You can figure out which category we can put it in. Fusses, fights, or funerals, all right? I would put this in a fuss category. But ever since I was a little kid, I've been a Superman fan. All right? Uh, I've been a Superman fan. I like, you know, a truth, justice, and the American way is what it used to be in the comics, you know? And uh, I just like that that the outfit. I like the fact that he could fly. Of course, I, I, as a kid, used to think, you know, imagine myself as Superman. Of course, I'm scared of heights. So... Flying in Superman, you know, scared of heights, that he'd, he'd fly really fast this close to the ground. You know, that's what I figured I would do. Uh, but if I were Superman, you know. Uh, but uh, this idea of Superman uh, it has really expanded into all kinds of superheroes now that we have, right? The biggest selling movies that are out there tend to be movies that are about superheroes. I'm not saying that's bad or good. It's just entertainment. You have to be careful what you watch. This is my point, though. Have you ever met someone who is more than just a fan, but they, like, live the myth? You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm as a kid, I used to put on a Superman costume I had created. I understand that, all right? I know people that even will go to conventions with, with uh, other nerds they call themselves sometimes. I'm not saying that's a bad thing for entertainment. But do you realize that in New Zealand, you can check this out, in both New Zealand and in uh, the UK, that um, had they followed the actual results, they would have had to add Jediism as a religion on the census for both countries. I know the UK, British Isles, I can't remember which part it was over there. You can check me out on that though. In other words, people were taking the Star Wars movie so seriously that they would check that as their religion on the census. And there's so many people responded that way that if they were being, you know, truthful, they would have had to add that as a religion, as a religious option. Wow! You know, uh, the Marvel movies and stuff, what do a lot of them focus on? They focus on, like, Norse mythology, Thor. That comes from Norse mythology, right? A lot of these heroes that they go through, it comes from mythology. Now, please, I'm bringing this up not because you have to have a position on Marvel movies, okay? Maybe in you, and your home, you're like, we're not touching it. That's fine. That's between you and the Lord. Maybe you're like, well, we're going to watch some of that and we'll be discerning. That's fine. I'm not judging you on that. Don't judge me on that, okay? What I'm saying is, though, that we have a fascination with myths. The problem comes, and this is what we can rally around, the problem comes when we start subtly replacing our source of truth with some kind of myth that people have made up. Now, do you remember how things were passed down before the age of the Internet? In fact, even before uh, the printing press, truth could be passed down by writing, A lot of times it was oral history. People would would share tales, right, and history and recall things. In fact, who doesn't love to hear a good story? That's how truth was passed on. The public square, people would meet uh, over coffee or whatever, and they would share things, and, and the history was passed down. Now, where do people go today to find what they think. Generally speaking, people go through the Internet. The Internet is the new public square. The Internet is the new marketplace. I'm picking a little on Facebook with my title because it's catchy, Facebook Theology. But what I want to illustrate now in the second half of the message is how we need to be discerning when we are interacting with people over social media or what have you. I know some people will think, well, I don't go for social media, so this doesn't really affect me. Well, all the people around you do. So their thoughts are affected by what's going on. So if you don't want to be part of that, that's fine. But it's going to affect, already has affected our world. Let me give you some illustrations here. We'll start easy, okay? Okay. I want to give you some illustrations where people would rather trust a myth than truth. Here's one. How about this? How many of you have heard this? God helps those who help themselves. I've run across that, right? Do you realize this does not come from the Word of God? This comes from an actual Greek myth. It comes from a story called Hercules and the Wagoner The English political theorist, Uh, Sidney, who originated the now familiar wording, God helps those who help themselves. Benjamin Franklin later used it in his Poor Richard's Almanac in 1736, and it's been widely quoted. What is it about? Well, this guy who has a wagon, the wheel falls off, and so he starts kneeling down and praying to Hercules. And Hercules shows up, and the, the... The guy, the wagoner, he's sitting there and he says, please help me, my wagon is broken. And Hercules says, the gods help those who help themselves and leaves. (laughs) Thanks a lot. (laughs) In other words, fix it yourself. Now, I understand that there's a nice practical observation from that, right? I mean, we shouldn't just be sitting around and not doing anything expecting God to do something. We need to be active doing things, right? Right? But that's the trick, that's the trap, because now, well, that's a good little like thought, right? Then people turn it into a truth that's like from the scripture. Well, God helps those who help themselves, because here's the problem. The problem is that God's word teaches the exact opposite. Who does God help? Those who cannot help themselves. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. See, it's like that uh, hymn, the arm of flesh will fail you, you dare not trust your own. What does Jesus say? If we don't abide in Him, without Me, ye can do something. Without Me, ye can do a little bit. Without Me, ye can do nothing. See how that little thing twists that around and makes it different? Here's another one. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. It's like every Disney animated movie ever. Yeah. Right? Believe in yourself. You know, Proverbs 28:26 says, "Whosoever trusts in his own mind is a fool." Should I believe in myself? No. What does the Bible say about my heart? It's deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, I understand, some of you in your minds are like, well, wait a minute, does that mean we should have low self-esteem? Well, you know, that concept of self-esteem is not really found in Scripture. That comes from psychologists back in about the 70s who came up with that idea. We have to think better of ourselves. Listen, What happens is people will use that saying, well, you know, you have to think better of yourself. Listen, when you start understanding that Jesus loves you and you see yourself through his eyes, you get a good opinion of who you are. I am who I am, not because of who I am, but because of who he is. I am of value because Jesus loves me. Do you see? Yes, people should value themselves, but why should they value themselves? Because I have something special to offer? No, 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 no. It's because God values me. Do you see how that's different than the average psychology that's, well, you're important. You're believe in yourself. Lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. No, 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 friend. That's not the answer. The answer is to say, God loves me, and that's all, all that matters. It's not believe in myself. It's trust in my Savior. But a lot of people think that's a good message. Well, it's got a good message. Believe in yourself. We have watched Disney animated films. Okay, I just said films. <laughs> that's such conservative, like, Christians speak, right? We don't watch movies. We watch films. Okay. Actually, we watch uh, a series of still images shown in rapid succession to give the illusion of movement. But we have watched them, and you know how we've dealt with this with our kids? We taught them about this, right? In fact, we kind of made it a joke. So, okay, here comes the believe in yourself moment, right? We know it's coming, and it helps our kids understand, all right, I need to be discerning, right? Now, some of you would say, well, we're just not gonna watch it at all. I understand, I'm not trying to tell you what you have to do. You take the truth and apply it in your own family's life, you understand? How we chose to apply it as they grew was, and always with age-appropriate things, but we would say, okay, watch this. We're going to enjoy this. That part's funny. This part's different. That's a good truth. There's some uh, 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 chivalry there. There's some virtue there. But watch out for this part. It's not about believing in yourself. It's about trusting your Savior. See? Here's one. Let's get a little bit harder here. Let's get a little bit more difficult. Here's the thought I've run across, the idea that God is punishing me. I call this Baptist penance, where bad things are punishments and good things are rewards. So let's start with the good side of it. Sometimes we say this, I know what we mean, and I've said it too, so don't feel too badly <laughs> if you said this, but you know, like, uh, you have a nice building, right? Well, God's blessing us, we have a nice building, okay? Okay. That's a good thing. I'm not knocking your building. I love your building. I love your property. This is great. pastor shared with me some of the hopes and plans you have for doing different things. I'm so excited about what God's doing. And you take good care of it, from what I can tell. I mean, it's really nice. That's a good thing. I'm not contradicting that. But do we always equate God is pleased with us when he blesses us with something? Or what happens when it's the other way around and something, you know, the the church van breaks down? Does that mean that God's judging us? Do you follow what I'm saying? We've got to be careful that we don't misapply the what you sow, you reap idea. That's biblical. If you sow sin, you're going to reap the consequences. But that doesn't mean that because something bad happens to you that God's punishing you. Remember Job? What did Job do? He's just sitting there being godly. (laughs) Right? And the devil and God are having a discussion. And God says, listen, have you considered my servant Job? Do you realize that you might go through difficulty because God wants to prove a point to somebody else? Whoa. I hadn't thought of that. So the Baptist penance, well, you know, if good things are happening, God's pleased with me, or bad things, then they must be be sin. No, 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 that's not it at all. By the way, God went after Job's friends. Job's friends, man. (laughs) Let's keep going for sake of time, though. How about this? Here's one. I've heard this one on Facebook. I love Jesus, but I hate the church. If you run across that type of idea, sometimes it's phrased as, as, I love Jesus, but I hate religion. I can accept that a little bit because I know what they're trying to say, but it's still, what they're trying to do is they're trying to say, Jesus, if you were hurt, it don't blame the church or, or don't blame Jesus, you know, because Jesus wasn't the one that hurt you. And understand what they're trying to do. But sometimes in our desire to be creative, we inadvertently say something that's not true. Let me ask you a question. If I love Jesus, won't I love what he loves? What's Jesus' attitude towards the church? The Bible says that he loves the church and what? gave himself for it. So don't tell me that you love Jesus and then you hate the thing that he loves. Some people give this idea, they won't say it that way, but they'll live it. They'll say, well, you know, I love Jesus, but I don't need to go to church. Now, you folks are here on a Wednesday night. You get extra spiritual brownie points. Right? Amen, amen. And I also realize, I also realize that some people, because of physical uh, conditions that they may have, uh, or whatever, we got some over the road truckers and different things. Not everybody can come to all the services. I understand that. But our heart ought to be, I want to be there with God's people. Why? Because Jesus loves the church. Well, I love Jesus, I want to love what he loves. So I don't like these advertisements that are, well, I love Jesus, but you know I could I could care less about the church. Well, then you don't love Jesus very much. According to the word of God. How about this one? I want to be careful when I say it. I'm going to say it and then I'm going to explain it. Heaven gained another angel. Now, follow me. This often happens when, particularly, a child passes away. And one person is trying to comfort another person, and they'll say, Well, get, heaven gained another angel. Do you realize, number one, that's a lie because we don't change into an angel when we go to heaven. We're still people. And plus, why would we want to say that when the truth is so much better than the fable? The truth is that that, that baby, that that child, maybe an unborn child sometimes that passes away, they go to be with Jesus. They don't turn into like a little baby with wings that flies around. That's a Cupid. Guess where that comes from? mythology. <laughs> no, 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 no. I believe God's word teaches that person goes in the presence of the Lord as a full grown person and they're fellowshipping with Jesus for all eternity and you'll get to meet them one day. Isn't the truth way better than the fable? Being a redeemed saint is better than being an angel. First Peter 1.12 teaches that angels long to understand the good news of salvation. As Christians, we have experienced the depth of God's mercy, grace, and love in a way that angels never will. So instead of, let me challenge you, instead of saying heaven gained another angel, I would write something like this, they're free from pain and in the presence of God in their right mind. You know, I mean, you can, you can make, create your own statements you want to say that have actual truth in them that can be of greater comfort. We are all God's children. I just heard this one this afternoon, actually, when I was online. Are we all God's children? It is true that God created all people, but the Bible does not describe all people as God's children. That's family language. Is everyone God's family? No. What does God's word say? John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons, or children, okay, L- girls too, right, of God, even to them that believe on his name. When we trust what Christ has done for us, then we become part of his family. Listen, you, you are nice folks, but you're, you're not family unless, you know, you buried a, one of my kids or something like that, you know, something like that. That's, that's, that's special family language. People today are not born as one of God's children. Actually, they're children of wrath and need to trust Christ in order to become part of the family. We're all God's children is not true. It's a lie. It's a fable. It's a myth. But people would rather believe that than believe what the Word of God says. A few more here quickly before we're done. The devil reigns in hell, or hell will be a party. I've seen this well, if I get to the end of my life and I end up, you know, in hell, all my friends will be there, right? Well, this idea that hell's like a big party, you know, with beer and music and all that stuff. You know, the Bible says it's a place of fire. It's a place of despair. It's a place of loneliness. It's a place of punishment. The devil is not in charge of hell, by the way, right? No, that's where he's going to be condemned forever. He's not in charge of it. He's running from it. Here's another one. How about, you're going to have to think about this one. God cannot be in the presence of sin. I think I might have said this years ago, you know, not thinking about it. But think about it for a moment. First, it sounds right. Well, God cannot be in the presence of sin. Now, wait a minute. Who was Jesus? Jesus. Was Jesus God? Absolutely. Who was he around his whole earthly ministry? Sinners? Sin? Right? Did he run away in fear? Was it like Superman and Kryptonite? In case you're not Superman fans, Kryptonite like eventually weakens and kills Superman, all right? See, sometimes we have this idea that God is like Kryptonite is sin to God and he can't be in the presence of it. No, sin can't be in the presence of God. There's a difference. See, God, nowhere in Scripture are we taught that God cannot be in the presence of sin. It is that sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. And there's a big difference in that. Because we don't have a wimpy, sissified God. Going back to the book of Job, Lucifer came and talked with God, didn't he? do you realize that there is access we don't have time to go into it but there is access for now there is access from the devil can talk to God well if God couldn't be in the presence of sin how would that work I like to say it the other way sin has a problem being in the presence of God how about this all sins are equal it feels right to say that right all sins are equal. Let me suggest to you that it's close to the truth, but it's not the truth. It is true that it only takes one sin to be a sinner. But it's not true that all sins will be judged equally. What do I mean by that? When we get to heaven, we talked about what's going to happen at the judgment seat of Christ, right? We are judged not for our sins because we're already, that's already forgiven, But we are judged for what we do with what God's given to us, right? How are the people judged who didn't trust Christ? The Bible says the books, plural, are opened. Their name is blotted out of the book of life, so they're not in that book. So the other books are open. What are the other books? The other books are their works. They will be judged according to their works. People who say, well, you know, I want to kind of my good works to outweigh my bad works. None of them will succeed. Because they will be judged according to their works. What is the judgment then? It's hard for me to understand. But I can think of it this way. There are people who will be judged more severely than others. Now, I, as a human, can't understand the levels of hell. Do you follow what I'm saying? I'm, I'm telling you I do not understand. Like anything apart from being saved, how would that be better? Well, you can't like, say it's better. It's not. But what I'm saying is God is consistent. And that all sins are not equal. If you look in Scripture, you'll see that mankind will be judged according to their works. That's why you got to have Jesus, amen? Two more here and we'll be done. God will never give you more than you can handle. Oh, this is one I see a lot. And someone's usually trying to encourage somebody else, right? They're going through a difficulty. Maybe they're going through cancer or or a terrible family situation or, or or financial or whatever it is. And one person says to another, well, you know what? God will never give you more than you can handle. Or another way I've seen that is God gives the toughest test to his strongest warriors. And it seems to be like a good thing. But now think about that for a second. If you're the person receiving that, At first you might feel encouraged, but then you start realizing something. Well, if God's giving me, doesn't give me more than I can handle, and I can't handle this, then I must be a failure. Because God wouldn't have given it to me if I couldn't have handled it. And I'm not handling it. Or I must not be a strong enough warrior, because if God gives his toughest challenges to his strongest warriors, well, then and I'm failing, well then I must not be a very good warrior. People draw this from the passage of Scripture where he says that he will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able. But the idea, that has to do with sin, that we never have to sin. But a trial is not a temptation. Those are two different things. In fact, God's Word says, come unto me all you... all unto me all ye that labor and are heaven laden <coughs> excuse me and i will give you rest jesus loves to carry the burdens of those who cannot carry the burden it's he who sustains us when we cannot bear the weight isn't that so much more comforting rather than laying a guilt trip on us because well we're not handling it well, no, I can't handle it. I need Jesus. It's not God sitting up in heaven and and sending a bunch of trials down to us and like loading us up, right? Have you ever loaded? <laughs> our kids love to take stuff. I don't know that they love to take stuff from the cart from the grocery store to the you know to the car inside. I'm not saying they love that part of it, but they do love, you know, carrying as much as possible, right? <laughs> Load me up, you know. God doesn't do that to us as Christians, though. He doesn't, like, just keep piling on. Let's see if you can handle that. Here's another trial. Let's see if you can handle that. And then God sits back up here. Hmm, let's see how good of a Christian you are. That's not God. No, you know what he does? He bears the burden with you. He doesn't sit up here and assign you a task and then see if you can complete it. He assigns you a task and then helps you complete it. Isn't that a big difference? God will allow you to go through more than you can handle. So it'll teach you to trust him. The last one here. (laughs) I guess we already, follow your heart is one. We've kind of already covered that. So I'll end with a different one. God wants you to be happy. Where in scripture do we find that? God wants you to be happy. Now, I know we don't, it's not a sin to be happy, as long as it's for the right reasons. What we do find in Scripture is a principle called joy. And joy is different than happiness. You know, sometimes we hear in our wonderful country, and I'm grateful to be an American, I really am, I'm so grateful. And built into us and our very fiber is life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And sometimes we get that crossed over with things that the Word of God says. By the way, even that doesn't promise that you'll be happy. It's the pursuit of happiness. (laughs) But sometimes we get in our minds, we kind of cross those things together, and that's not at all what we're supposed to do. See, God's primary motivation for us is to be holy. Be ye happy, for I am happy, saith the Lord. No, Be ye holy, for I am holy, saith the Lord. God is first and foremost concerned with our holiness before our happiness. Now, if you delight yourself also in the Lord, what will happen? Well, he'll give you the desires of your heart. Why? Because our heart will align with his. But friends, tonight, I wanted to end this way. If you remember Sunday school, for those of you who were able to be there, we started talking about discernment. We started talking about making sure that we pass things through the sieve of Scripture. As we interact with people, whether it's in person or online, let's be on guard for these fables that are not the Word of God, but masquerade as truth. One person said it this way, because these little tidbits of fables, it's like superstition almost. Superstition is the worm that crawls from the grave of a dead faith. Isn't that a statement? Wow. I like statements like that. We've got a lot of people who think they're Christian because, you know, they have verses up in their house or they have a poster, like I said, with a kitten on it that says, hang in there. I'm a Christian because I listen to inspirational music. Listen, I like the song "You Raise Me Up" as much as the next person, but that's not a Christian song. Understand? It doesn't. It's not Bible truth. It's just like an inspirational song. It's different. You watch Hallmark movies all day long, and that doesn't. That's not Christian. But a lot. Of, that's where people go to get inspired and motivated and all that stuff. Wouldn't it be better just go to the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate the Word of God, and then we walk with Him and He empowers us. That's what the life is supposed to be. May God help us to do that. I'd like every head bowed, every eye closed. A little bit different tonight, I understand that. Maybe you're here and say, you know, Brother Ben, I needed that message tonight. I needed that message tonight. Would you pray for me? If that's you at all, would you simply slip your hand up? I won't point you out or embarrass you. Amen, amen, amen. It was a good heart check. Amen, I'll raise my hand with you. Thank you, You may put those down.
1: I know it's Wednesday night
0: uh, crowd here tonight, but if you don't know the Lord, oh, trust Him tonight, friend. Going to a good church doesn't turn you into a Christian. I could sit in your garage. It wouldn't turn me into a car. <laughs> You've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. If you're watching online or listen to the recording back and you don't know the Lord, realize you're a sinner, friend. Realize that sin has a penalty attached to it, which is, which is death, eternal separation from God. Forever in a place called hell. But the Father, that's God, sent the Son, that's Jesus Christ, to be the Savior of the world, and that includes you, friend. And if you'll trust Him, ask Him to forgive your sin, and believe that He rose from the dead, friend, you can be saved. For us as Christians, let's determine to live by the book. Dear Lord, I thank you for the truth of your word. Help us to have discernment. Lord, I need it. It's easier. We get, we get tired of those wall sits. We get tired sometimes of the study. We get tired as the world constantly harangues us and tells us we're haters and bigots and, and, and you, you, you name it, all the different titles they call us. And it's easier to go with the flow. But Lord, we're, we're not called to that. We're called to look beyond these trite phrases that don't ultimately help anyone. Strengthen us, Lord, I ask in your name. Amen.